chapter 5, and uh, we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. Now this series is not on the Sermon on the Mount, the series is the Gospel of Matthew, but this happens to be the section we're in. And we started chapter 5 by looking at the Beatitudes that Jesus gave and told about who God blessed. And then the next verses, uh, we see that in verse 13 and onward that we are the salt and light of the earth. We are to penetrate society. And by our good deeds or our good works, people will glorify God. And then we began what were known as six antitheses. Where... Jesus provides a deeper and a fuller understanding of the law. And each one of these antitheses, and there's six of them, starts off with a set, uh, a, a, the words that go something like this. You've heard it said of old, but I say unto you. And we call that an antithesis. He'll start off with the thesis. You've heard it said of old, thou shalt not kill. That's a thesis. And then he gives an antithesis. He says, but I say unto you. And he sort of doesn't contradict it totally, but he fills out that law uh, the way God intended it. Okay? So we had the first antithesis, which dealt with murder. He heard it said, you shall not kill, but I say unto you. And now we come to the second antithesis today, which is found in verse 27. And here's what it says. You've heard that it was said to those of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So here we have the thesis. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This is the seventh commandment. And to commit adultery involved, according to the law of Moses, marital infidelity on the part of two partners. Somebody in marriage A commits adultery with someone involved in marriage B. Okay? So, adultery here does not mean premarital sex. It doesn't mean having a mistress or a sugar daddy. And it doesn't mean uh, going to a prostitute. It's talking about infidelity between two married people with spouses other than their own. And according to the Jewish law, the penalty for committing adultery was stoning. So, in Leviticus, we have the penalty for committing adultery in Old Testament times, and it was stoning. So the woman caught in the act of adultery, they wanted to stone her. That was the legal requirement for adultery. Now remember, the Ten Commandments were given to Israel when God formed them into a nation. These were part of their civil laws. Just like we have laws. You kill somebody in America, you go on trial, you could end up you know, in the gas chamber, or you could end up life in prison, or whatever. The law will determine the penalty. Well, in Israel, you too had to, it wasn't just to stone somebody, you had to go through a legal process, and the penalty oftentimes was, was stoning. And there was a process that you went through. But then in verse 28, we have the antithesis. Jesus says, But I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman to lust 
for her has already committed adultery. So what Jesus does is he interprets this seventh commandment in a fuller way. In a way that supersedes the law of Moses or explains it the way it was intended to be understood. Because Jesus has God's mind. At least the way it's to be understood in Jesus' day. Under Roman rule. Just remember, Israel had laws. They had the Ten Ten Commandments. But they didn't always live just as Israelites in Israel. Sometimes they were in captivity, weren't they? Babylonian captivity. And then guess what happened? Well, maybe under Babylonian law you couldn't stone somebody for committing adultery. So guess what? Even though they had the law, depending on where they lived and what time they lived in, it determined whether they could uh, carry out maybe the penalty. And Jesus now says, well, we're under Roman law, and he's going to fill out the law in a fuller way, a way that supersedes Moses' understanding. So he says, he uses two key words there in verse 28. The first one is the word looks. I say to you, whosoever looks, the present tense verb, which means to look continuously. It's not a fleeting look. It's not a glance. It's talking about a look that is has an intention. So we're not talking about uh, seeing an attractive person in the room and looking at them. There are people, and some movie stars in this way, if you've ever seen them in person, you understand. It doesn't come across on the screen as much as in person many times. They are absolutely stunning, and you can't take your eyes off of them. It's not talking about that kind of look. It's not talking about, hey, look, there's an eye turner, or head turner. Look at some people, you have to look at. <laughs> and with the modern medicine, you would... A lot of people do that. But uh, <laughs> this is a long, deliberate look with an intention, with a goal. Which leads us to our second word, and that word in verse 28 is lust. But I say to you, whosoever looks at a woman to lust after her, which means uh, you look at her with a desire in your heart to have an illicit relationship. Uh, it's a sinful look with the intent of lusting means coveting, wanting her, wanting to possess her, looking her at her as a sex object. And so that's the kind of look. And the result, Jesus says, in verse 28, is that you've committed an adultery already. When you look with an intent, a sinful look. And so, But where is the adultery committed? What does he say there? At the end of verse 28. In his heart. In his heart. So even before the act of adultery is committed, the sin of adultery has been committed. James puts it this way, lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So, we have a sin committed even before the physical act of the sin. Now, who commits this sin? Who commits the sin? It's the man who commits the sin. It's the man who looks upon the woman. 
He blames the man and says the man commits the sin. It's not the woman who commits the sin in this case. Now, if she would enter into an adulterous relationship, then she would be sinful as well. But at this point, it's the man who commits the sin. Now, isn't it interesting, in chauvinistic uh, societies, men always want to blame the woman. Well, she got what she deserved. You ever notice that? If she was dressed differently, well, then I wouldn't have had that lustful thought. And in the Middle East, women have to be covered from head to toe. They have to wear a burqa. You're familiar with that concept, aren't you? And why would you have to wear that? Because, boy, if you would show your hair or your eyes or your face, the man may lust after you. See? It's her fault. Can you imagine such a nonsensical thing? It's her fault. She got what she deserved. About six months ago, Lara Logan, who was a, a reporter for 60 Minutes, was in Egypt during the uh, Arab Spring when the uprising was, and some of her hair was showing. And uh, Well, anyway, she got raped. And uh, she, she was hurt physically and emotionally, psychologically. And she came on 60 Minutes and she explained what it was. And they said, well, it's your fault. Your hair was showing. Like, I can't control myself if I see your hair. Because you know, she wasn't totally covered as a reporter uh, in the Middle East. And so that would be like blaming the victim of a robbery for being robbed, you know? You're going to blame the victim of a rape for being raped. No, Jesus says the man is the guilty party. So that's something that's very important. So what Jesus is doing here is he's establishing a new standard. He's giving the fuller meaning to the seventh commandment. So, in old, the days of old, it was the deed that was the sin. But according to Jesus, it's the desire that's the sin. According to the law of Moses, it was the action that was the sin. The physical action. According to Jesus, it's the intention. That's the sin. So now he gives us instructions how to avoid this kind of sin. For those of you men who are in that boat, let's see what he says. Here's your instruction. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And then verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body be cast into hell. Now notice it's only your right eye and your right hand. Now why is he saying that? Well, first of all, he's using a hyperbole. And those of you who've studied the Bible know there are figures of speech. And hyperbole is an exaggeration to drive a point home. So what he first says is if your eye offends you, if you're sitting through your eye, you're better off plucking out your eye. And if your hand offends, if you have this desire to touch, uh, it's better off just to cut off your hand. Now, he uses the word right hand because in ancient society, the right hand and the right eye were considered the most important. Like we say... He's his right-hand man. What does that mean? Most important. That's just the way they talk. Jesus is saying, look, it's better to cut out your best eye. You know, that's what he's basically saying. And he's using this exaggeration or hyperbole to drive home that point. 
So if I were to ask you what is he really saying, he would say, do whatever it what it takes to root out this sin. Now, had King David heeded this advice, he wouldn't have had the problems that he faced with Bathsheba. And King Herod, he wanted his brother Philip's wife. And he took her. And John the Baptist confronted him. And John the Baptist ended up dead because he confronted the king for his sin. So we see that this is good advice on how to avoid the sin. Whatever it takes, do it. Uh, Job said, I, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman. Meaning in a lustful way. That's in Job 31. He says, I put blinders. You know, one look at the person once and you see them and they're attractive, that's enough. I don't look a second time. So here is the solution to the problem. So these are kingdom ethics. Remember, Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. He's saying, well, under the law of Moses, under the dispensation, this is uh, how things were done. Look, God requires even more in this kingdom age in which we live. And we have to be careful because as Christians, we can become hypocrites in this matter. We see a person who uh, commits adultery and gets a divorce, and, and we think, Hear about that. Look what they did. I'd never do that. <clears throat> but you've sinned in your heart already. You're as much a sinner as they are. And so we can be very hypocritical. So we need to keep our hearts and our minds pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. Remember? That was one of the Beatitudes. So Jesus is trying to liberate the woman. He's showing the guilt of the man here. And look what he says. Um, why we, it would be better to cut your eye out and your hand off than to keep them and sin. Look what he says at the end of verse 29. Because it's better that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And at the end of 30, he says the same thing. It's more profitable uh, for you to have uh, one of your members perish and your whole body cast into hell. Uh, Jesus is making a comparison, a profit and loss statement here. In one sense, he said it's better than, and then he said it's better to than to. It's better to uh, cut off part of your body than to have your whole body destroyed. It's better to... Uh, lose your hand temporarily than to lose your life eternally is what he's saying. So he's telling us that the result of this sin is hell. Now think about this. What sin? Lusting in your heart. Committing adultery in your heart. That sin is worthy of hell. This is the gravity of this matter. Now you would think this. Now listen. Listen carefully as I was contemplating this. You would think that the act of adultery would have been worse than the intent, wouldn't you? If I said, which one is really worth worse and which one really deserves hell, you would, would you say the act or the look? You'd say the act. Yeah. See? Now look. If I said, What's, what should you be punished for worse? 
If you commit the act under the law, you were put to death. But for the look, you go to hell. For the act, you face a human court. They stone you. For the look, you face the divine court. See, Jesus is showing you there's a gravity to this, and the act, you know what the act is? The act's only the result of the look. That's what follows the real. You've committed adultery already with the desire and the look, with the intent of taking that person as your own. So the act is just sort of finishing it off. Jesus actually says, the one, <laughs> the intent, get deserves hell. Now that's really strange, isn't it? That's how Jesus looks at things. It's not the way we look at things. I would say, well, at least he looked, but he didn't touch. I'm a girl watcher. I'm a girl watcher. You know, remember that song? You better not be a girl watcher. You better cut that eye out. Okay, that's the first antithesis. Now we come to the second antithesis. Or the third antithesis in the series. Look at verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, in other words, you heard it said of old, here's the thesis, whoever divorces his wife, let her, let him give her a certificate of divorcement. Now, a certificate of divorcement was a legal document, which simply says that uh, you were going to divorce your wife. Notice the necessity of that. It says, let him give her. That's, that's actually a command. And it means he must give her a letter of a divorcement. This certificate was designed to protect the wife. <clears throat> Women were under the authority of the men in ancient days. They didn't sort of just go out on their own. It was very rare that a woman would go out on her own. So until she was married, she was under the authority of her wife, of her, husband, of her father. And then when she got married, she was under the authority of her husband, and then if he divorced her, he would give her a letter, a certificate, a legal certificate, that said, I'm now divorced, and therefore I am now free to come under the authority of another man. I can get, get remarried. And uh, so Jesus says, uh, that's what was said of old. And we know that the Old Testament deals a lot with marriage and divorce. And I want you to keep your finger here, but I want you to turn over to uh, Deuteronomy 24. Now we've looked at this passage probably in the past sometime. But it's always worth looking at it again. Because it gives us the basis for the divorce and the certificate of divorce. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. And when you get there, we'll look at the top of the chapter, verse 1. Deuteronomy 24, and verse 1. So here's what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, because he's found some uncleanness in her, he writes her a letter of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. And when she has departed from his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife. So here we see the practice of a letter of divorcement 
So here he says, if a woman finds no favor, in verse 1, in her husband's eyes, because he's found some uncleanness in her, he can write her a letter of divorcement. She's free to get remarried. Now, what does that mean, finds some unfavorable, he finds no favor in her, in it, she finds no favor in his eyes, and she has some uncleanness. What does that mean? Well, that's what the rabbis discussed. But what does it mean, he found some uncleanness in her? Or she doesn't find favor in his eyes. I mean, because it's not very clear, is it? So, every rabbi had an, opi was, uh, an opinion. And during Jesus' day, there were the two main rabbis that you know about. Hillel and Shaman. Hillel was a very educated man. And uh, he said that if she didn't find favor in his eyes for any reason, and his argument was, one of his arguments was, even if she constantly burned the supper, he would have a right to say, look, I'm fed up with this. I'm writing you this letter. Here you go. And he would get the letter, do the equivalent of our day of getting it notarized, you know, and he would give it to her. Uh, the other major rabbi during Jesus' day was Shammai. And Shammai said, no, no, the only reason that the man can write her a letter of divorcement is if she's committed adultery. That's the only reason. Okay? So, here we see the concept of letter of divorce. This passage, by the way, goes on and talks about what happens if she gets the second divorce and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, let's go back to the Matthew 5 passage. So I guess what Jesus says in verse 31 is that you've, you've heard it said of old that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a letter of divorce. Now, we have the antithesis in verse 32. But I say to you, now Jesus is going to fill out the law even more. But I say unto you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries that woman who is divorced commits adultery. So, Jesus says the only grounds for divorce in verse 32, the beginning of verse 32, is sexual immorality. So he sides with Shammai on this. He takes the more conservative stand on that issue. Okay? And then he says, the guy who divorces her for any other reason, but she burns by breakfast every morning. He gives her the letter of divorcement. Look what he does. He causes her to commit adultery. Meaning when she gets remarried. She has a legal letter of divorcement. She goes out and gets remarried. Jesus says when she gets remarried, she commits adultery. Wow. So, you say, I've got... Jesus is talking about people who get divorced for the hardness of their heart or because they're no longer in love or because they say, well, we're no longer compatible. Jesus says that is not valid, a valid reason to write that letter of divorcement. Now, I want you to notice in verse 31 and 32, it's the man who initiates the divorce. It's the woman who is the victim again. You see that? She really hadn't done anything worthy of divorce. Burning the biscuits is bad, but you know, come on. Uh, so, the man 
initiates that, and the woman's the victim. And then the man, look at this, as a result of that, forces her, causes her, because now she's out there on her own, she has to come under the authority of the man to get remarried, and in doing so, commit adultery. Now, in the eyes of the court system, under Moses, for any reason, a man, she doesn't find favor, the man writes her a certificate of divorce, but is she free to get married? We just saw it in Deuteronomy 24. Was she free to get married if he writes her the certificate of divorce? Yes. She can go out and she can get married again. But look what Jesus says. The only time she could go out and get married would be for, well, it doesn't say anything at this point. Be, I guess, if her husband committed adultery. It just says that she can't get remarried under these circumstances, and the husband causes her to commit adultery. Why? Because Jesus says that marriage really wasn't dissolved. Even though it's dissolved in the court's eyes, the court of the state's eyes, he's saying here it's not dissolved in God's eyes. That is really hard, isn't it? And he says she commits adultery. Now, Jesus. Later on in chapter 19 says, and the man, by the way, if he gets remarried in those circumstances, he commits adultery. So he puts both of them in the adulterous camp. If the divorce is invalid and the certificate of the certificate of divorcement has been written, even though the court recognizes it, he says God doesn't recognize it. And they go out and get remarried and they are committing adultery. Boy, that is really hard stuff. So Jesus is holding to a standard that's much higher than Moses. And then look what else he says. At the end of verse 32. And whoever marries that woman who is divorced, what? Commits adultery. Well, now we've got three people committing adultery. So, what's going on here? You know? What do we do with this? How do we solve this problem? What's the solution? Well, for Jesus, the solution would be don't get divorced unless there's sexual immorality that takes place. If you do get divorced, by implication, he's saying what? Don't get married. Boy, now that goes against the tide. Now, this is what Jesus is saying right here. So let me try to make some sense out of this because it puts us in a real pickle. So how do we do this? Okay? Let me give you four statements that I can derive from this here particular passage. Okay? Statement number one, he's talking to his disciples. That's number one. He's on the hill talking to his disciples. He's talking to people who are kingdom citizens or want to come into the kingdom. And so statement number one is Jesus is saying... You should remain faithful to your spouse. Do we all agree with that? Okay. And if you have any difficulties, work them out. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Whatever it takes, work them out. Number two, I think we could say without any contradiction that Jesus is trying to protect the innocent party here. Would you agree with that? Whether you look upon a woman with lust, that was... A First one, or the divorce situation. He's trying to protect the innocent part. Okay. Number three. 
even when the marriage vow has been broken through adultery, Jesus does not command that you get a divorce. He just allows it. Would you agree with that? It's not a command. You just allow it. And then fourth, which brings it right home, is some of us, and some of our family members and friends, have been divorced for reasons other than adultery. That's just the fact of the matter. Uh, and we can always bring up the what ifs. Well, what if your husband beats you? What if he's a drunk? What if he's into pornography? What if he's a, uh, you know, he's an alcoholic? What if he abuses the children? What if he's a gambler? He's addicted. He's no. So all these reasons, okay, and then we've gotten the divorce and we've gotten remarried. What then? Jesus doesn't address any of that. Now Paul addresses some of that kind of stuff later on, but Jesus here just doesn't address it. Why not? Because he's really not trying to make that kind of point. What's the point that Jesus is making? As kingdom citizens, we should live at a higher standard than most people. God requires a lot of us from us as believers. Okay? This entire discussion is given in the context of the kingdom of God. What was the first command? Blank. For the kingdom of God is at hand. What was it? Blank. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the answer. If you want to be in the kingdom, you need to repent. You need to reorient your life ethically toward God's kingdom. If you're in the kingdom and you've broken this and you now realize it, guess what? Repent. God's in the forgiving business. He offers you forgiveness of sin. He doesn't say, well, what happens after you have your sins forgiven? Is that new marriage? Are you living in a continuous state of adultery? Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. If you're forgiven, guess what? You're forgiven and you have a fresh start. But the problem is, is that we read too much into this passage and we try to expand Jesus' teaching on that and that's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to protect the innocent party and he's trying to tell us how we are to live as kingdom citizens right now. And then Jesus goes on in verse 33 and he gives us the next antithesis. And he says, again, you've heard it said... To those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Do not take an oath. And that's where we'll pick up next week. What does it mean? Don't take an oath. Old Testament, take an oath. New Testament, don't take any oath. And that's why, based on this passage, by the way, the former president of Criswell College, H. Patterson, when he was called into a courtroom to testify, and they asked him to put his hand up in the air, right hand in the air, and his right hand, notice, and his left hand on the Bible, and they said, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? He says, I will not take that oath. He said, I will tell the truth. And I will not lie. And he did it on the basis of this. Was he right in doing that? We're going to find out next week when we come to this. <laughs> then we'll have Paige come and give his. Uh, <laughs> that's right.
Lord, thank you for uh, for your word. We, we realize that you have filled out to the full measure the, the law in the Old Testament. We see that there's much more than the various acts. There's the intent. There's the spirit. There is the heart issue. You said, blessed are the pure in heart. Lord, that's what we want to be. We should be thinking on those things that are good, those things that are pure, those things that are positive, those things that are uplifting. And when we do that, we won't get our minds in the gutter. We'll keep our eyes on you. We'll have heavenly thoughts and kingdom thoughts. And our minds will cause us to perform good deeds instead of bad deeds. Oh, Lord, help us to, uh, to take these words to heart. Help us, from this point on, to say we want to be kingdom citizens. We want to serve you to the fullest with our bodies, our minds, and our hearts. In Christ's name we pray.